This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Messengers, who's Malachim? Where are they? Last week's Pasha, where did we end up? Last Pasik. <coughs> Second to last Pasik. Yaakov Malach Ladako. Yaakov went on his way. The Yifku by Malach Elokim, and he met the Malach Elokim. So it was those Malachim. Malachim Beretz Yisrael came to meet him. It was those Malachim that he sent. Okay. And he says to Esav. You see, everyone thinks Esav's war, which we'll see soon, but Esav's war is to physically kill us. <clears throat> but really, Esav's war is to assimilate us. So, I, I was just learning this, like, what, what, it, 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 it's very famous, right? He said, he sent the message. What was his message? Right? Yaakov sent the message. He didn't send the message. Listen, if we go to war, I'm going to wipe you out. I'm not scared of you. I went to the well and took a stone that three people, the three people could not, I picked it up like it was a cork out of a bottle. I'm not scared of you. He could have trash talked to me. He said, we got 400 men. I am not scared of you. Right? Or, um, you know, have Hashem on my side. And he didn't say any of that. He said something that sounded very um, puny. Esav, in Lavan Garti. I went to Lavan. I kept putting, I put on my tillin. And I wore my titsas. And Esav's like, whoa, I'm really scared. Right? So like, what was this whole statement? In Lavan Garti. Esav's coming with, with, with the Marines. With the tanks, with the planes, with the bombs, with his infantry, and I'm gonna, I'm sending him a message. Hey, you better watch out, cause when I was with Lavon, I was Mavid Sedra. I was Mavid Sedra. And I put on my tillin. Asa's like, who cares? Asa didn't care about that. So what was this whole thing? So that, what's really going on, what we're gonna speak about tonight, is that Asa's war is not physical. Esau's war is not physical. Esau's war is assimilation. The Romans, we know what the Romans, what they were all about. The Roman Empire. His, his, his objective is to assimilate Israel, Not to destroy us physically. So, he was telling Esau, if you think that you can, can assimilate with me, you can change my Yiddish guy, I was with the worst guy in the whole world. I was with Lavan. Lavan was the biggest crook. Lavan, I worked for him. I, he lied to me. And I, I did not assimilate. I was, I was out of Eretz Yisrael. I was out of my land. I wasn't with my parents. I was very much alone over there. He controlled everything. In Lavan Garti, if you're coming here to try to, to get me to go off the derech, it's not gonna happen. Because in love and God to be tiger mitzvahs. I kept the tiger mitzvahs. You're not going to be able to move me. And really, <coughs> what I want to talk about tonight is later on when he um, when he goes back for the little pach, right? So it says, who he woke up in the middle of the night. He took his two wives and his two shifchos and his eleven children. Benjamin wasn't born yet. And they went across this river. Right? <coughs> he went back. Says Rashi, why did he go back? Everyone here knows why he went back. Right? Um... Rashi says that he actually carried the donkeys, the animals, like a bridge. Right? He was that strong. But Yavasa Yaakov, Shokach Pachim Kanim, he forgot little, little pans, little pots. The Chazar Alein, he went back. He got me, can we hear from here? He says, al the Tadikim never do batashas. Okay, Yaakovina was very rich. Okay, he left a couple of pans and a couple of jars. Big deal. No, if you work hard for your money, then your money counts. If you gamble and you make fast money, 
then you lose fast money. Money that a person works very hard for. My friends who didn't gamble, they gambled very little, were the guys who worked very hard for their money. Like, are you crazy? I'm going to lose thousands of dollars because of a card? I mean, I stayed up 12 hours a day working to make my money. I am not losing my money for because of a, of a card. But the guys that made the fast money, stock market, flipped the building, this and that, made fast money. So fast, you know, money comes, money goes. But Sadiq, he, he works for his money, and he knows the money comes from Shemayim, and if he's going to leave those jars, even though they weren't that important on the other side of the river, it's about Tashkas. He wouldn't do that. But it's also brought down a very interesting medrash, that what was this jar that he went back for? So he says that we know that when he left, he left his parents on his way to, so, so Esau sent his son, Eliphaz, to kill him, to kill Yaakov. And he came to Yaakov, he said, you know, Yaakov was his Rebbe. He said, I have no choice, I have given him, my father told me to kill you. So the Gemara says, three people are considered dead, blind people, a blind person, a poor person, a person who has no children. Shleisha Chashev Kimes, Ani, person who doesn't have any children, and a Suma. And he comes to Yaakov, Yaakov says, listen, I'm not blind, and children I don't have yet, but only because I'm not married, but if you take away all my money, then I'm going to be Chashev Kimes. So you kept your father's mitzvah. So Eliphaz says, fine. So he stripped Yaakov of all his clothing. Yaakov had not a pair of socks on, nothing. And it says that when he took all that clothing, he was at an oasis, and he went into this like lake, river, whatever it was, a lake. And the water was up to his neck, and he couldn't get out because he had no clothing. He can't walk out of without any clothing on. It's in the Medrash says, Medrash Rabba says, that an Arab came by, a sheik or whatever, he got off his camel, and he went into the water. And he left his clothing on the, on the bank, and he drowned. And Yaakov saw that it was a sermon, there was no one there, and he drowned, so he took his clothing. That was the clothing that he wore. So the kasha is, that we see in last week's kasha, that he had a dream, and he wakes up from the dream, and he takes the oil, and he anoints a stone, right? The matzeva. So the chazal asks, where did he get the oil from? Eliphaz took everything away from him. So it says that that oil was put there from the beginning of time. From when Hashem created the world. And it was a very sp- special pach, because no matter how much oil you poured out of the can, it refilled itself. And it says in the Medrash that this pach was used to anoint this stone. This pach was used to anoint the Mishkan, the Kahanim, the Beis HaMikdash, the other Beis HaMikdash, David HaMelech, Shlomo HaMelech. This was the oil that was used for anything big in Klai Yisrael. And it always had the power of refilling itself. This was the jar that he went back for, that he forgot. And it says, this was the jar on Hanukkah, we're in Kislev. Don't forget tonight, we have to be Mekash Levana, after Meirev. This is the jar, this is the jar that they went looking for, that the Greeks missed. And, the, and this was the jar that was sealed, because it, it always resealed itself. And therefore, we keep eight days of Hanukkah, because really there's only seven days, that's a miracle. The first day wasn't a miracle. There was enough oil for one day. It lasted eight days. So if there's enough oil for one day, it lasts eight days. How many days are a miracle? Seven. So why do, we, why do we celebrate eight? And the answer is that on the first day, they poured out all the oil and the can refilled. Second day, third day, fourth day. It's the eighth day where they didn't need it anymore. It still, could, it still would refill, but they didn't need the nation anymore because they had the oil that was made already. So he didn't go stomp back for... But, but there's a little cash on this on that message because the, the lotion that Rashi uses... Pachem, which means more than one job. It's a little schwer that Rashi uses plural, but that's what the Medrash says. Okay, anyway, I want to talk about this fight. This is very important. So, Vayivasha Yaakov Levado. Yaakov was left alone. First of all, we knew that Yaakov always had Malachim with him. He always walked with Malachim. Where were these Malachim? He was left alone. That the Satan went and attacked him. Where were these Malachim? He sent them. No, they came back. <coughs> they came back with a report. So, where was his Malachim? Not those Malachim. He had guardian angels. He says this fight had to happen with, without any help from any other Malachim or anyone else. He had to fight this fight alone. But Yuvaser Yaakov Levado, I want to say that the 
greatest power of the Satan, which was the, the Malach over here, is when you are lonely. When a person is lonely, they become very depressed. Not only do they become very depressed, they try to do things to get out of their loneliness, which are not always so good. So, so, by Yuvasha Yaakov Levano, Yaakov was left alone, he felt totally alone. By Avik Ish Imway, the Satan, the Satan could have fought with Yaakov his whole life. Right? The Satan could have fought with Yaakov his whole life. Why did he pick this time? And the other question is that the Satan could have fought with Avram and Yitzchak. Why did he pick Yaakov? Here's a fight. Why did he pick, why did he pick Yaakov? So the answer is, because Yaakov represents Torah. And, and Avram represents Chesed and Gvura. He said, he said something very interesting. Yitzchak said, you can have Chesed. You can, you can, you can have Chesed and be a Russia. Hitler, Yemach Shemot, had very, a lot of mercy and pity on dogs and on animals. He didn't let the Germans do anything to animals. So he had this pity, right, on animals, but he was still a killer. So the, the Sultan said, I'll let you have chesed. There are people who do chesed, they do terrible things, other things. He said, you can have chesed, you can have gvura, but Tyra, Tyra you can't have. So when Yaakov Avinu, who represents Tyra, that was when he, uh, that's when he, when he went to war with him. But <coughs> the Lashon, the Lashon that's used here by this fight, it's not a fight. Doesn't say by Yulachim ish imo. Doesn't say a man fought with him. It says by Yavik ish imo. And a man kicked up dust. Because the word by Yavik comes from the Shirish avak. Avak means dust. Isn't that a weird way of saying two people were fighting? Why the Torah call this avak? So we should have said, by Yolochem, Ishimah, the two of these guys were fighting. If I want to say, come into this room and say, oh my gosh, you don't know what you two, you don't know what you guys missed outside. There were these two guys. They were mamish kicking up dust. <laughs> Rebbe, what are you talking about? You, you never, you wouldn't believe what I just saw. There were two guys, they kicked up so much dust. You'd be like, two cars, two guys. Right? Rebbe, and I'm like, no, no, they were having this crazy fight. So you say, so Rebbe, why'd you come and say that we were having a fight? We would have gone out there and helped them. So we would have stopped the fight. You come in and say, two guys are kicking up dust. We're thinking there's two guys in front of the yeshiva kicking dust. So what's this lotion in the Torah, instead of Ayyulachim? And it says that, right, so Rashi says they kicked up dust. Right? Until the morning star. And it brings down that this dust, Says the Medrash, reach the Kisei Kavod. This dust reached Hakadosh Baruch Hu's throne. That doesn't make any sense. Dust can't reach the throne. Thrones in a different world, billions and trillions and who knows how many light miles away from here. How could they have dust from their fight on the mountain? Go, go, go! Oh, not if it was on the mountain, but go up to go up to Shemai. So what's really going on here? That's a really our subject for tonight. So I'm not going to do it here because it'll mix everyone up in the camera. So I came to seminary yesterday. We have Hashem, a very good seminary. We have about uh, a terrace novel. We have about 65 nice from solid girls. So I came to the class and I said, girls, today we're going to talk about beauty. Okay, that makes sense in a girls class, right? They're like, what, makeup on Shabbos? I'm like, no. Shiduchim? I'm like, no. What are you talking about? I'm like, tell me something in this world that's beautiful. And I have the top three answers, and let's see who gets the top, gets one of the two or the two or the third answer. So the first girl says, flowers, tulips, and roses are beautiful. I'm like, that's the number one answer. The number one answer is flowers. The number two answer was sunrise and sunset. Make sense? The number three answer that I did not see coming was the ocean. A lot of girls said the ocean is beautiful. Not the beach, the ocean, the water. Okay? And then we went around. Some people said people are beautiful. Some people said animals are beautiful. Girls said birds are beautiful. 
60 girls. Everybody had a different, everyone had a different beautiful. Some of them had the same beautiful, but those were the main beautifuls, right? I'm sure if I went around this room, I'd pretty much get the same thing. So I said, how come nobody said Yiddishkeit is beautiful? Candle lighting is beautiful. Baking chalas is beautiful. Wearing tzitzis is beautiful. Tznius is beautiful. Hashem is beautiful. Because the way we're taught, the Torah is not beautiful. God is definitely not taught in the vision of beautiful. He may fry you. He may barbecue you. He will punish you. He will, who knows what, that's what we're taught, right? But nobody even came close to saying, Beautiful? God is beautiful. Because really, all the beauty in the world is Him. So we've been taught, all of us, including Rabbi Wallerstein, we haven't been taught that Yiddishkeit is beautiful. My Rebbe never got up and said, Wow, Tulin is beautiful. Mitzvahs are beautiful. You have to do mitzvahs. We never took the word beautiful and Tyra were beautiful in Judaism and put them together spiritual deep enlightening but not beautiful the fight between the Itzahara and Yaakov Avinu was Vayavik Ishimo Esav knew the, the Satan knew that he could never kill he knew that. He knew the Brisbane of Sarim, that Hashem promised of Ramavinu, that we would always be here. He knew his, he, Esav knew the bracha that Yisra gave, and he took, he took, he took his father's brachas really seriously. He knew they came true because that's why he wanted it so much. That's why he begged for it. So he knew that in, 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 in Tufshin Ayin Vav, and he knew that in 2015, we're still gonna be here. Not what the fight was about. Says Rashi, the fight was about Avak. The fight was about Vayyavek. The fight was about putting dust on Torah and Mitzvahs. Because the power of dust, and the reason that we dust our furniture and our silver and everything in our house, because dust makes everything dull. It takes the beauty and the shine away from everything. Asa said, I know I can't kill you, but what I'm going to do to your children, and he hit, a, he hit Yaakov Avinu in the Yerech, he hit him in his groin, actually, and the groin was a representation of, I know, I, why didn't you punch him in the face? If you're fighting, one good hit to the head, what are you punching the guy in his groin for? Right? And the answer is that he understood that the groin represents the children, the generations that are coming up, coming. He said, Yaakov, you I can't hurt. I know that I can't hurt you. But I want to take out your children. And how do I want to take out your children? The iPhone is beautiful. The Lexus or the Maserati, right, is a beautiful car. And that's a beautiful house. And that's a beautiful tie. And that's a beautiful shirt, and that's a beautiful dress, and that's a beautiful woman. Alright? That's the satan. All those things are beautiful, but that's not a beautiful Arana Kodesh, or a beautiful Sefer Torah, or a beautiful Piritzitzis. It's not the way we look at it. So what he did is he said, Yaakov Avinu, because he knew the secret. What's the secret? I have learned the secret in the last couple of years the hard way. What's the secret that the satan knew? He knew something amazing. He knew that if he could take away the beauty of Judaism, in the end, the dust, as it says, will rise till the throne of Hashem. Which means that if he could take away the beauty of Judaism, in the end, the beauty of God, the beauty of the world that God designed, the beauty of God, it will reach all the way up to God, and that will be dulled. The Kisir covered of Hashem will be dulled. And that's why this generation is such an atheistic generation. Because kids are growing up and, and Judaism is not beautiful. Everything else in the world is beautiful. And in the end, they, become, they, they don't believe in Hashem. 
So okay, so all right, so Rabbi Wallace, don't get yourself crazy. It, it's normal, guys. Guys don't think children are beautiful. They think girls are beautiful. You know, come on, yeah, come on, be normal, Rabbi. You know, don't be crazy. You know, don't be some crazy kanoi. Oh, a guy's gonna walk and say, oh, I guess what I'm wearing a beautiful pair of sisters. Like I had a girl across the street. She's beautiful. That house, man. I just went to a guy's house for Shabbos. Whoa, does he have a beautiful house? Check out that car, man. The leather in this car. Wow, it's a beautiful car. Come on, Rabbi. That's, that's normal. That's normal. And the answer is maybe it is normal. But you know what happens? When Yiddishkeit becomes dull, in the end, God becomes dull. And all of a sudden, the kids and the people start not believing in Him and start be- being disconnected from Him because the shine is gone. That's what He wanted. That's what He fought about Yaakov a whole night. He said, I'll let you do mitzvahs. I'll let you do the Torah. But I don't want it to be beautiful. Because it's something to know that in the end, something that's not you don't think is beautiful, you're going to stop doing it. You don't enjoy it. It's not. It's not. It's not. A Shabbos table is not beautiful. You know, I have a friend that lives in Chicago. Today they were here, so the mother is very into Shabbos. So Wednesday night, the Shabbos table is already set. So she showed me a picture of her of her Shabbos table last week. Right. So in the middle of the table, there was this um, someone. One of these. Characters from Toy Story. What's his name? Light something? Buzz Lightyear. Huh? Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear. So Buzz Lightyear is laying in the middle of the table. You hear the Shabbos table? Buzz Lightyear is laying in the middle of the table, surrounded by 12 little things that were like stones. And that was Yaakovino sleeping, and there was a ladder coming from Sirius. It was a ladder. It was amazing. She did a whole picture of the parasha on the table. So... She, she was sitting eating lunch and she says to me I don't know if I should continue doing this I said why not she says because my daughter is like 12, 13 and she's like mom I'm so embarrassed my friends come and see what you do on the table it's not beautiful I'm so embarrassed I'm embarrassed of an iPhone and all that other stuff right I'm embarrassed because, because we're embarrassed we don't want to show off this stuff because we don't think it's beautiful that was his koyach. It was a fight a whole night. Says the Torah that that fight will be till Eloisa Shachar. Until Mashiach comes. Until the morning star comes up, which is Mashiach, that fight will always be, that fight will always be. The beauty in Yiddishkeit. The beauty about being a Jew. Being proud of who you are. Thinking that wearing a yarmulke is beautiful. Wearing my tits out is beautiful. Believing that what we are, what we have is beautiful. And, and, and I got into this whole very interesting, um, interesting lesson this past Shabbos. I was on a Shabbaton. So I was with 30 girls who are very challenged in their, in their tzniyas, to say the least. And we're sitting around a table. And I'm like, why do you think we have this, you know, the girls, they have this struggle with, with being modest, but, why do you think the Chachamim was so strict about sneers by a girl? I remember once I got up out of Shabbaton, this was years, years ago, and I said, like, I said that a girl sneers, I saw this in the Kaviyasha. Kaviyasha says that, that a man who wears sitzes, so every second that you wear sitzes, it's considered a mitzvah. Sorry. I gotta take this somewhere in the hospital. Hello? Did you get your cat scan back? No, I'm going in now. Okay, you should be good bench. Call me when you come out. Right. It's just an emergency situation. Anyway, so, um, so what was I saying? Yeah, so anyway, so they're very challenged. So I said, why, why do you think that, so I, I got up at the Shabbaton and I, and I was saying that, that the Kavayosha says that a man, every second you wear tzitzes, you get a mitzvah. It's like the easiest mitzvah in the world. I think we figured out if you wear from the age of 13 till 90, it's a billion, a billion seconds. You can do the math. It's a billion seconds. So imagine you come to the next world, you have a billion mitzvahs. You didn't do anything. You just wore your tits. You didn't do anything. A billion mitzvahs. Everyone's like, so hard to be a Jew. It's so easy to be a Jew. A billion mitzvahs. So of course girls are like, yeah, sure, guys. Ah, we don't have that. You guys get a billion misses, we don't get nothing. So I said, the Kavayosha says that every, Kavayosha says that every second that a woman is dressed modestly, just like tzitzis, when you look at your tzitzis, it reminds you of all the mitzvahs. So when a person, when a woman looks at, that she, her, she looks in the mirror 
and she's covered and she's a tsnua. So for her, as long as she's dressed snua, it's like she that's where it sits in. So they all get very angry at me. That's all you guys talk about. That's all everyone talks about. You know, women that we don't have to have brains, we don't have to put on children, we don't have to learn, we don't have a to learn. It's just about my you know, you you you're like all those other you know, whatever they call the racist, not racist, whatever, whatever, that, that, that women don't, you know, that, that a woman is just about the length of her dress. What about my learning and my, my, my thinking and my, ah, ah, it's just about, you be religious for a woman, a girl, you don't have to learn, you have to do nothing, just wear a long dress. Like, you, you, you think we're like the cave women, you know, like, there's, there's nothing to us. Just about my dress and my, my, my knees and my, and my elbows, ah, they were ranting and raving. I'm like, I'm trying to give you a billion mitzvahs, you don't want it, don't take it. Don't worry, you know. But anyway, so this, this is probably the best, I think the best marshal to te- talk about things. So I said, why do you think, why do you think the Torah says that, that a woman should be such a snua? You know, men don't have to be such snua. We can walk around in pants. You can't walk around in pants. Your skirt has to be this long, this, that, the other thing has to be covered. Everything has to be covered. So every girl said the same thing because if you're not sneeistic, you're provocative. And if you're provocative, men look at you. I said, that's it. That's why you think you have to be sneeistic? I said, that has nothing to do with it. Because in that case, a 95-year-old grandmother should be able to wear pants. Nobody's looking at her. And I know I'm going to get emails now. You're beautiful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for saying that. I just got to give an example. My grandmother's not alive. She's not going to come after me. But What? If she emails you, if my grandmother emails me, yeah, we're in trouble. Um, so anyway, so but okay, but Levi, she, she's ninety-five years old. She's not attract. Men are not looking at her. So why can't you wear pants? Why can't you wear a short skirt? Right? And the answer is she can't. Even at one hundred and one, she can't. And a woman in a house really should have her hair covered all the time. I'm not saying it's halacha, but we know the Gemara says. That she had seven seven um, children that each one was a kind gadol, and they asked, they asked her why they say because the walls of my house never saw my head. What, what what's provocative? Why can't why can't my wife? There's no one in my house right now. Why can't you put on a pair of pants and walk around the house in jeans? She's not allowed to. Why not? It's not provocative. There's no one there. So there's something else going on. There's something else going on. So. I think it's the best explanation I can give, and I think it's it's important for men to hear this also. So this guy goes to it goes to an art gallery, and he buys a hundred thousand dollar painting, gorgeous painting, beautiful painting, and it's going to be like the major center of his house. It's going to be like in the dining room, in this big dining room, it's going to be this huge painting. He buys this huge painting, a hundred grand. He goes there to throw Lucien Grief Gallery, and he buys this painting for a hundred thousand dollars. So he brings it back to America because you don't you don't come back with the frame. You don't come back with the frame; it's too big. You buy the canvas, and you get the frame here. So he goes into the frame store, and he says, "Like I have this most gorgeous a hundred thousand dollar painting. I want like the biggest frame, the biggest, widest gold with you know three insides and a mirror, and then another mirror, and then." I want, this is the center of my house, like, give me your most expensive frame, like something really amazing. And they're like, we have a frame for $6,000, okay, give it to me, frame it, he puts it in the frame, he's got this $100,000 frame, uh, painting in a $6,000 frame, and he puts it on the wall. And he's all proud of it, and then people start, his friends start coming to the house, and they're like, oh my gosh, look what he has on the wall, that is the most gorgeous frame I've ever seen. Like, excuse me? I've never seen a frame like that. No, 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 the painting, the painting. Oh, there is a painting in there. Oh, that's a nice painting, it's okay. He goes back to the frame, so he goes, nobody's looking at the painting, everyone's looking at the frame. She says, listen, I wanted to tell you, you know, that the nicer the painting, the less of the frame. Because if you have a cheap painting, right, if you have a copy or a cheap painting, you put that in a very nice frame, so at least it looks like something. If you have an expensive painting, you don't put that in a, in a fancy frame. You put that in a very plain frame so everyone could appreciate the painting. My school that I used to teach in went to the MoMA. Right? The MoMA is the MoMA. The MoMA. The MoMA. The Museum of Art in, in Manhattan. Right? Culture. And they came back and there's a Van Gogh 
and there's a Monet, and there's a Picasso, and they came back and they said they saw the most amazing paintings. They saw a Monet, and all these, right, million dollar, hundred million dollar paintings, gorgeous, gorgeous painting, right, and they're like, you know, and then they took notes and then art class and all this monsters, and I'm like, by the way, could you tell me, like, how, how are the frames? They're like, excuse me? You know, the frames, and the Van Gogh, was it a nice frame the Van Gogh was in? I don't remember the frame. I didn't go to look at the frame. The frame is just there to hold the painting. So I told the girls, what it says, so when a person shows their body, right, your body is the frame that holds your soul. Everyone's body, your soul can't live in this world without a body. It has to make brachas, it has to have hands, it has to have feet. So the body is the frame of the painting. The more you show the frame, the less the interest in the painting. So when a person, when a girl realizes that a Kishbuch created her and that she has inner beauty and there's a person in there and there's a, there's a, a holy person in there and there's a sensitive person in there and Hashem made this painting but, but your body is your frame and you go around not wearing the skirts and the clothing that you're supposed to and you're provocative and you're showing more of your frame. If you're showing more of your frame then everyone's attraction is to the frame, not to the painting. And they're losing on to who you really are. So a person, the more tsnua they are, right, the more, the less the frame. The less the frame, the more the soul. <coughs> Why would you spend $200,000 on a painting and then put a frame around it that everyone's looking at the frame? And I think that's probably the best muscle I've ever heard in Sneers. I don't think I've ever heard a better one. So it has nothing to do with being provocative to men. Because you have to be a snoo even if you're not around men. And I think that guys, right, one of the problems is that we're so busy always looking at the frame. And we don't look at what the actual painting is because we're so busy always looking at the frame, we never get to look at the artwork. And we get lost in the frame and we, we forget to look at the artwork. So we, we don't get this focus. And one of the things about dust, guys, anyone who knows anything about street fighting? So when I learned about street fighting, when I came to New York, I learned that the, some things the hard way, but some things I learned before. If someone starts up with you, and they're a lot bigger than you, and they have a knife, and you don't have anything, this guy's going to pretty much kill you, the first thing you do is you look to see if there's any sand on the ground. If there is, you pick it up, and you throw it in his eyes. Because you, you, you don't have the weapons to do that. The only thing you could do is you throw it in his eyes till he gets the pebbles and the sand out of his eyes. He's totally, he's not focused. And when he's not focused, you run. So you throw something in the eyes. The old Westerns used to throw him in the eyes and then shoot him. But seriously, that's what you're supposed to do. And that's what he was trying to do over here. He was trying to, to take Yaakov out of focus. And that to get us to focus on the things that we shouldn't focus and to get about thinking about the things that we should focus and a lot of the a lot of the marriages today, a lot of the guys, they're attracted physically, but they're 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 so into the physical that they have no idea what the painting's all about. They're very busy with the frame. It's not it's not the frame is nothing. The frame is just there to hold, just there to hold the hold the picture. That's it. Same thing with us. Our bodies is is the frame, but the actual painting. Hashem took his time to paint this beautiful painting. That's you. You are beautiful. Your body is pretty ugly. I always say, if you took people and stripped them of all their clothing and put them in a cage, no animal would come to that zoo. They'd be like, (laughs) Human beings, we're ugly. We are. We don't have no fur. We're no tiger. We're no lion. We don't have stripes. We're not a mink. We're not even a skunk. We're ugly. That's not our beauty. Human beings, are, they had this thing in the, in the Natural Museum, I don't remember if you remember, three years ago, they peeled the skin off human bodies and they had these, it was on the sides of buses where a human being looks like underneath the eighth inch, eighth inch of skin with downright ugly. Fish are much prettier than we are. Birds are definitely prettier than we are. The squirrel outside with his fur, he's cute. He's not dressed, he's cute. You don't look like that. We're ugly. We are. Human beings are ugly. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not. In the animal world, if you, if you, if you want to put us into the animal world, in other words, if that's who I am, I'm my body, I'm my physical body, I'm an animal, I am 
one of the weakest things in the world. A lion can rip me to pieces, a snake can kill me, pretty much every animal can kill me. I'm not fast, I can't run faster than they can, I can't climb faster, I can't fly, I can't go under the water, what, what exactly do we have? We have two feet, we can run pretty good, but not compared to a dog or a cat or a, or a deer or a bear or a snake. You ever see a snake how fast it moves? Very fast, much faster than you think. So, the the frame is nothing special. So why are you so busy with the frame all the time? You got to get start getting busy with the picture. And I was telling the girls that if you want if you want to study art, I don't think in, I don't never went to art class, but I'm thinking that in art class there's not a class on studying frames. I don't believe so. Not a class on studying frames. Is a class on studying art? And understanding the art. So a person who understands that the art of the world is, is God and his blueprint to Torah and the, and, and, and the emotions and the spirituality and, and that's what the art is. That's what we're supposed to be studying. We're busy studying everything else but, but, but that. We're studying what the Gaisha world is selling us as beautiful. Instead of studying what's really beautiful. And this was this whole fight. This was the fight. And therefore, but but he saw he couldn't beat him. He saw that Yaakov Avinu will always see the beauty in Torah. He could not beat him. He said, "But I'll get you kids." But Yiga he hit him in his thigh. and he dislocated us. He dislocated. The, it's an interesting watch What happened over here? It's all metaphor. It's all metaphor. You mean he dislocated it? So pop it back in. So pop it back in if you dislocate something. The answer is, he dislocated us. He dislocated the groin. He dislocated this generation and all the generations after. We're so dislocated. What's a dislocation? What happens when you dislocate your shoulder? Your shoulder's still there. Just not connected to the piece of your shoulder that it needs to be connected to. We're not dead. We're here. He, he knew he couldn't do that. He couldn't kill us. But he dislocated us. He popped us out of position. We're not connected anymore. That was his koyach. That's what the satan did. But anyway, what happens? Vayomer, Yaakov says, no, 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 no. Lo I'm not letting you go. Kim You got to give me a bracha now. You messed me up. You got to give me a bracha. Vayomer, Elav, Mashmecha. Now, Asa, was a, the, the Sultan knew his name. How did you learn this? Sultan knew who he was fighting with. What's your name? Was he asking what's his name for? They're fighting a whole night. He was asking him a person's name. They both asked each other, is your source? Your source. What's your source? Who are you? What makes you tick? And he said, let's see if Rashi says on this. But you know he doesn't. But Yaimer, Yaakov. Oh, he speaks about it later. He says, Yaakov. My source is that I'm Yaakov. But Yomer the Sultan said, Lo Yaakov, That's no longer your name. What's this going back and forth? Because Yaakov means, means Yaakveni, he tricked me. So Yaakov said, my name is Yaakov. The Sultan said, you were able... I threw dust in your eyes. I threw dust in your eyes. We brought up this dust. I threw it in your eyes. And you were able still to see straight. You're not Yaakov. You're Yisrael. Yisrael stands for Yashar Kale. Yashar means you're able to straight. You're straight. You say, what did, what did you beat me at? I tried to throw it in your face and to make you totally disconnected. I tried to make you in a fog. I tried to make it dusty. But you beat me, Yaakov. Your kids didn't beat me, but you beat me. So your name is no longer Yaakov. Yisrael. Yoshakel. You're able to see straight. That's who, that's who you are. Oh. Okay. So Yaakov said, what's your name? Not, he knew who he was fighting with. He knew it was the Satan. He says, what's, what's, who are you? What's your source? Because the person's name is your source. My Rebbe always says, my name is Zechariah. Zohar Hashem. People, when they see you, should remember Hashem. Shimon, they should listen to you. So I was, from my name, you knew I'd become a speaker, because my name is Shimon. It's Shimon. So the person's name is, is your source. 
So he asked the Satan, I know your name. What, what makes you tick? Like, who are you? So he said, Tell me your name. Why are you asking me my name? This is a very hard pasuk. And he gave him a bracha. One second. He said, I'm not letting you go until you tell me your name. What's your name? He's like, why are you asking me my name? And then he let him go. He didn't answer the question. He asked him a question. I'm not letting imagine you holding someone like, you want to go? I'm not letting you go until you tell me your name. The guy says, okay, why are you asking me my name? Okay, bye. He didn't tell him the name. And, and you know, some people say, well, you know, a Jew asks a question, you answer with a question. But the Malach wasn't a Jew, he was Esau's Malach. So he doesn't answer with a question. What is going on here? Yaakov said, I'm not letting you go until you answer the question. And he doesn't answer the question. He said, what do you ask me a question for? All right, he let him go and he benched him. The Teretz is, that he did answer the question. He asked the Satan, what makes you tick? What's your, what's your strength? So he said, tishal shmi. You want to know my strength? My strength is to get a person not to ask. Just like Nike, just do it. tishal. Why ask questions? Lishmi. That's my name. He did answer. Yaakov asked him, what's your name? He answered, Lama the Tishal. Why ask questions? Party. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about who created this world. Don't worry about nothing. Just do it. Shmi. That's my name. So that's my kayach. That's my source. My source is the opposite of Ezehu Chacham Harayat and The difference between, the whole difference between a teenager and an adult is one word. And it's not maturity. Because there are many teenagers that are mature and there are many adults that are immature. The difference between a teenager and an adult is one word. And it starts with a C. And it's called consequence. When you are a teenager, there's no consequence in eating a lot. There's no consequence in, you know, you're like, okay, I'm like Nike, you know, I'm just going to have a good time. Yeah, yeah, when I get older, I'll be, I'll be okay. You don't, you don't think. A child doesn't think further ahead. He's like, now. Now I want to have a good time? I want to have it now. Ah, it's hurting you. It's not good for you to smoke. It could cause cancer. I'm young. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. So the, really, the difference between an adult, whereas when you get older, you're like, oh my God, if I'm going to do this, this is going to happen. I can't eat mayonnaise. I can't eat chocolate. This is gonna, my sugar is going to be bad. My This is going to be bad. And, if I, if, and if, I, if I don't work hard, I'm not going to make enough money. And ah, you, you start to have cheshbonish. Why? Because you learn, you learn as you grow older that there's a consequence. You just can't get away with everything. You're not going to work. You're not going to learn. You're not going to know. You're not going to work. You're not going to make money. It just doesn't work that way. No one's giving you an allowance. So as a kid, that's the whole thing. They just don't think about consequence. Just party now. Party down. Party hard. Party now. And adults, even the party guys who were kids, when they were kids, I have friends that they were party guys. Today they're not partying. And they're already not partying for 20 years. Because you're in your 30s, you're like, I got kids. I got a future. I want to buy a house. I don't, you know, I don't need a mortgage. I want to do this. I want you. You, you think ahead. You, there's consequence. When you're a kid, when you're a teenager, or below a teenager, there is no consequence. So, this whole saying of Lomazet Tisha, why ask questions? Lishmi, that's that's an immature way of thinking. Everything, drugs have consequence. Drinking has consequence. Smoking has consequence. Looking at things you're not supposed to has consequence. Doing the right thing has consequence. Exercising has a good consequence. There's good consequence, there's bad consequence. But everything in this world has consequence. One plus one equals two. Even though I like to believe one plus one equals whatever you need it to equal. But that has, that has consequence. If you live your life, one plus one equals whatever I need it to equal, that has also consequence. Life has consequences. My father passed away. I remember when he got cancer. So... He got cancer when he was 67. And he got esophageal cancer, which is the throat. It's a very bad cancer. It's pretty much not curable. 
and he was sitting in the office I was with him sitting in the office doctor came back he said you know we got back um, we tested it we came back that you have esophageal cancer and my father says where do you get esophageal cancer from why do people get esophageal cancer he said the number one reason is smoking my father said I stopped smoking when I was 30 he was 67 I stopped smoking 37 years ago and you're telling me that I have esophageal cancer from 37 years ago and the doctor said to my father and my father was in the army so they used to smoke camel and filter with cigarettes and he, he was smoking like three packs a day I remember as a little boy and he stopped he stopped short because they showed him that his lungs when they took the x-ray was pretty much the whole x-ray was black there was no white and then the funny part was the doctor said so Austin look what your lungs look like I mean this is you got to stop and then the doctor took out a cigarette my father said the doctor was smoking but in those days whatever so my father said, 37 years ago, I stopped. You tell me I have, I have this cancer? So the doctor said, yeah, listen, cancer, the way it works is when you smoke, so in your throat lining, or, you know, all these cancers that come, the lungs or the throat or the tongue or the mouth, so you have cells, and sometimes those cells, when you're smoking, they become cancerous, but they lay dormant. They just sit there. They can sit there for 30 years. They can sit there forever. They can sit there for 20 years. He said, they lay dormant, but those cells turned when you used to smoke. And my father said, the sins of my, that's what he said. He said, I guess, this was his words. I remember sitting in the office, he said, I guess, Zechariah, I'm paying for the sins of my youth. I would love to have, still have him here. But there's, there's consequence in this world. And the Satan, his, his kayak is telling you, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Just do it. And that was what he said to Yaakov Avinu when Yaakov Avinu asked him, what is your source? He says, you know how I get people to sin? I get them to think there's no consequence. Just do it, have fun, don't worry about it. So that's a, that was a very big fight. And of course he did let him go, and when he let him go, he realized that he was Shalei Yerecho. He realized that he was wounded on his on his thigh. Okay, so that was a that was a big machlekes. That was a big machlekes. I want to read you a fantastic chidah in this week's parsha, and it's a chidah about Dina. We talked about this many times. That Dina. So it says, I, I've always had a problem with this. I've asked some rabbis. I haven't gotten an answer. It says that, you know, Dina went out, she went out and she got, um, I'll use a nice word, she got molested. It's not a nice word, but it's nicer than the other word. She got molested she, by Shechem, she got pregnant. And the unfortunate say that Yaakov got punished because with Dina, because he hid Dina in a box. And he didn't want Asaph to see her. Because he didn't want Asaph to see her. And the Chazal say that he got punished for that. Because Mida Kenega Mida, he hit her in a box and now she went out and she was seen by everybody. And Shechem did what he did. Because had he left Dina out there and Asa would have seen her and he would have married her, Dina could have changed him. Dina had the Gilgal to change him. And because he didn't let him see that, that's why Dina, this whole thing out with Dina. But I don't understand that because Yaakov Avinu's job is to protect his daughter. Why would you... Leah didn't want his wife didn't want to marry why would you why would you give your daughter to Esau anyone understood what's that Taina what's that Taina on Yaakov Avinu anyone who's listening anyone who come back with an answer I've been I'm looking for this answer for a long time you want him to take Dina and he should take the, it's not his it's not his chiv to give his daughter over to change Esau it's not his chiv to do that if I, if I have a daughter I'm letting her go out with some Russia low life bum because maybe she'll change him I don't know why I got punished like that. There's a lot of people watching this year. I would appreciate it if you send me an email. Rebbe Wallerstein, R-E-B-B-E, Wallerstein, W-A-L-L-E-R-S-T-I-N, at Ornava, O-H-R-N-A-A-V-A.com. I'm looking for this terrorist for a long time. Like, how could you want him to send his daughter out with to a Russia? How would he know that he, she could change him? So, I don't understand that. But, okay, and he got punished really severely. So, she went out, right? Vatetse Dina Vasleya. 
Listen to this. I said this last year, I think, or two years ago. It's amazing. So, Dina went out, and Yosef, and I think it's, right, Yosef, it says that Yosef was very beautiful. And that it says, also something very hard to understand. You know who Yosef Atzadik was? Yosef Atzadik was the foundation of the world. He was called Yosef. Yaakov Vino wasn't scared of Esau when Yosef was born. Because Yosef was the one that's the fire, the flame that's going to burn the straw, which is Esau. Once he had Yosef, he wasn't worried about, he wasn't worried about Esau anymore. So we have to understand Yosef was a very, very big tzaddik. And we learned, right, that he got punished, says Rashi, because he used to play with his hair. He used to look in the mirror and he used to comb it. I mean, I think that Yosef was a bigger tzaddik than Moshe Feinstein. Moshe Feinstein never combed his hair. What is this? What is this? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Yosef the Shvatim was, Rashi says, was busy brushing his hair like a girl. And we learned this Rashi as kids. Like, yeah, he brushed his hair, you know? How do you understand that? You know who he was? So the Chidah here answers a crazy answer. Why Dina went out and Yosef brushed his hair. And he says the following. Amazing. Listen carefully. He said that Sheibroi Hoya Yosef What's the baby called when it's in the mother's stomach? Embryoi? Fetus. Yosef's fetus actually was created in Leah. Okay? Dina was created in Rachel. <coughs> Leah knew Ruach HaKodesh, she was having a boy, which was Yosef. If she had a boy, that meant she had seven boys. Bill already had two, Zilpah had two, which meant that her sister, there's only 12 tribes, she knew that, that her sister Rachel would only have one. She did not want that her sister should have less than the maidservants. So she davened to Hashem that he should switch in the wombs. The boy that she has should go to Rachel and the girl that Rachel has should go to her. So that Rachel have two kids. So she doesn't have as much as Leah, but she has at least as much as the maidservants. Says the Chidah that since Yosef was created by Rachel, by, by, by Leah, and then he was taken out of that womb and put in Rachel's womb. But Rachel's womb had a girl in it, had Dina in it. Rachel's womb was created for a girl. So Yosef ended up in Rachel's womb that was created for a girl. So he got, this is my DNA, he got, this is read it inside, he got female DNA from a female womb, and therefore... He had a thing about brushing his hair like a girl. Dina, who was a girl, ended up right in a, in 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 Leah, who had a who had, was created to carry a boy fetus. So she got DNA from the boy fetus, and boys are derech is to go out. Women is to stay in the house is to go out. So she had that DNA of a boy. So she went out to see what's going on. Yosef was in Leah and he switched with Dina that Rachel was pregnant with and he ended up getting born in Rachel and Dina got, got, was born by Leah right so Zachar Nisha there was some male left in Leah from from Yosef, Dina, when Dina was switched into that womb, she took this DNA of a male, meaning from inside, that's why she was a girl who went out. Wow, this is crazy. And because it's a little bit Yosef's fault, 
what happened to Dina because he was in the womb before. And he, he gave her the, the, the boy DNA. She are by Shechem. He caused this whole thing of Shechem. The Nolda Osnas. And Osnas was pregnant from that rape. Right? She became pregnant, Dina, and she had Osnas. Therefore, since, this since he was a little bit responsible that she went out because he was the guy in the womb, Yosef is Osnas. That's why Yosef had to marry Osnas. Because he was a bit of the cause. Because from his koyach, of being the male in that womb, Dina came out and went into, and, 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 and Shechem did what he did, and, and she was null at Osnas. Everything, everything is connected. Amazing. And he goes on. How did Dina, a daughter of Yaakov, went out to see the marketplace? She he his followers that she was considered the boss Leah because Leah davened that this should happen. That Rachel shouldn't have less than two of the maidservants. She ended up coming out of the koyach of a zocher. That's why she went out like a male. he says the chidos says I want you to know. Don't think that Dina wasn't a good person. You should know. She was a tzadekes gemura. Shechem was very bad. He raped. He forced her. She didn't do it. She didn't do it willingly. Now he goes further, and he says the following: What was the Gilgal of Dina? Who was she really? Dina was Amsaloi Bas Carnival. Dina was the mother, was the Gilgal of the mother of Avram Avinu. The mother of Avram Avinu was Amsaloi Bas Carvona. Imo Shel Avram. She came back in a Gilgal of Dina. Why? What did she do wrong? She didn't go to the mikvah. So she was with her husband. She was a Nida. Dina, if you look at the word Dina, Nida. The word Dina is the same letters as Nida. Vitikuna, to fix this, and therefore Shechem did what he did, and he took all that Shechem, by doing what he did, took all that Tumah. How do you know that? How do you know he took all that Tumah? I think there's a Pasuk. It's crazy. This is unbelievable. There's a Pasuk in this week's Pasha. Let me make sure what's in this week's Pasha. I think it says... Who's recording this from... Batehini dasa alav. Let's say that here. It might be. It might be in a different place. Uh, anyway, what it, what it says, batehini dasa alav, the nida of Avram Avinu's mother ended up on him. He took. He took that. That toma out. He fixed it. It could be put down in a different posture, but that's what it says. Right? So now Dina is, a, is Avram's mother, and by, by this happening, she cleaned up what happened. He says, She came back to fix it, and what... Um, And what about uh, what about her father? What about Terach? So he says, <coughs> he says that Terach came back as Eov. You hear? 
Because Avram Avinu davened that his father shouldn't sit in Gehenim because of what he did. So Hashem sent him back as Eov. You hear what's going on here? Wow. Okay, so what you see is not what you get, which I've told you a million times. But anyway, the bottom line is over here that... What? Eov was a Gilgal. He suffered. And in the end, yeah, he, it brings down that Abraham Avinu Davin that his parents should not be in Gehenna. So his mother came back as Dina and Shechem cleaned that up by what he did. And, um, and he came back as Eov. Abraham was worried about where his parents would be also. Okay, I want to end with a crazy story. You got to hear this story. It's a crazy story. We'll end with this. Unbelievable. I saw it, I saw it the first time I saw it tonight. We'll end with this. It's just, it's just a story you got to hear. Um, so he says the following. He, he says it on the, the Shabbat says it on the, on the Gamalim, so that, uh, that he had, he had 30 nursing camels. Okay, he sent them 30 nursing camels, but it's not, it's not important. See, listen to the story about the Chsam Seifer, and we'll end with this. He says the Chsam Seifer lifetime in the Hungarian, that's not that long ago. How long will Chsam Seifer live? Not that long ago. What? A couple hundred years ago. So they, he lived in Hungary. So the education minister of the Hungarian government issued an edict. This all used to happen in all the European things. He, he banned Torah study in yeshivas. Everyone has to go to public school. So they realized that if they can't rescind this ban, all yeshivas are going to close. All the Hungarian yeshivas are going to have to close. So they came to the, they came to Chassam Seifer. And this minister that made this law was a big Jew hater. So anyway, he didn't even want to see the Jews. Finally, the Jews got a meeting with him. He said, but they have to come to me during breakfast. Because he wanted to just, like, not give them a meeting in his palace. He just wanted them to come during breakfast, like, um, like make them that they're not important. So they come to the Chassam Seif and they say, give us a bracha that we should, you know, because otherwise the yeshivas are going to be closed. There's going to be no more yeshivas. So Chassam Seif didn't give him a bracha. He just said, um, be very careful, no matter what, that when you're in his house, that you don't do any averis. What about a bracha? He says, you don't need a bracha. Just listen to what I'm telling you. Whatever you do when you go to his house, no matter what, do not do any of Averis. They, they walked out to like, these were like a mission of like rabbis, like Rosh Hashivas, like, some say for telling us over here. Anyway, they come to the house, and he orders the servants to serve them coffee with milk. When they heard that the milk would include, that the drink would include milk, right? Chalavakam. He said, they, they didn't know what to do. What they told, the Chassam Seifer told them to be very careful, so they they apologized, and they said to this minister, we're really sorry, but there's a prohibition against drinking the milk of a non-Jew. So he wasn't happy with that. So he said, I hear you. He said, why do Jews, why aren't Jews allowed to drink milk from a non-Jew? He said, because sometimes they mix pig's milk, or animals that aren't kosher's milk, into the regular cow milk, and a derivative of an unkosher animal is also unkosher. So we can't do that. So he, so this, the minister started smiling. He said, "Well, in this case, you don't have that problem." He says, "Because that's only a gentile who owns all sorts of animals." He said, "On my farm, I only keep cows." So uh, that being the case, there's nothing to prevent you from drinking the milk I've served you. It's cow milk. I don't have any other milk. So the delegation became more certain than ever that this was precisely what Chaim had in mind, issuing his warning. They decided to stand firm. And they said, we're really sorry, we're left to decline the offer. The minister became very angry, chutzpah, right? They were getting themselves in more trouble. So he called the maidservant into the room, and he said, please tell them, I only have cows, tell them where you got, I asked you to milk, tell me where you got the milk. To his astonishment and shock, the maid began to stammer, the milk is cow's milk, sir, but there is also, he says, also what? So the maid said, I'm really sorry, I'm, I'm so sorry, please don't fire me, but you told me an hour ago that guests were coming, and you asked me to milk one of the cows and serve it with the coffee. I did as you asked. I poured the milk into the jug I intended to bring to the table. At that moment, just minutes before the meal was to begin, in my haste, I spilled some of the milk that was in the jug. I was at a loss of what to do. Suddenly, I had an idea. I quickly ran over to your assistant's house across the street. He has a camel farm. I asked him to fill my jug with camel's milk. She stared at her master with pleading eyes. Have pity on me, Mr. Minister. Had I not been certain that camel's milk is even tastier than cow's milk, 
I wouldn't have done what I did. Knowing that important guests were due to arrive, I did not hesitate to mix the finer milk with the ordinary milk that you drink every morning. Hearing her story, the minister could not refrain from expressing his admiration for the Torah's wisdom. He announced to the delegation that the mission had been crowned with success. I know, I now know that Moses is, is truth and his Torah is truth. I hereby withdraw my edict. The lesson from, to be drawn from this is very clear. When the children of Israel absorbed the entire, observe the entire Torah with devotion, the Torah responds with protection and security from all sorts of tribulations. So this was the fight. The dust. Eh, just do it. Maid servant milk. The Torah says you can't. If you hold chalavakim, you hold chalavakim. There's milk hicks, and you hold chalavakim, you can't drink the milk. You don't drink the milk. Look what happened over here. So he knew the the the, the, the knew he didn't have to give them a bracha. He knew through this they're going to be saved. You have to you, you have to stand strong. So this is talking a fight that every one of us has. We all have it. I have it also. Is the lack of clarity. That was the Sultan's kayak. Dust takes away your clear your clarity. Takes away your clarity. So my brachas to everyone who's watching this year and everyone who's here. That Kosh should give all of us the biggest bracha of all. And that is, Kosh should give us in any situation, whether it's relationships or Yiddishkeit or business or anything that we do, He should give us the bracha of clarity. Have a good week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.